All God's people said, amen. amen. Really, we're on the third week, a little mistake there. Uh, as we look at blessed, broken, given, we're on the third week, which is broken. I had a dream the other day about uh, being in a doctor's office, and I went into the doctor's office, and uh, apparently I had broken my fingers in the dream. It was hard to grasp. I'll let you deal with that any way you want to. Are any of you junk collectors? I am. I mean, my wife would readily tell you that. Uh, odds are, if you are like me, you have a garage or maybe a basement full of things. Uh, there are piles of tools or furniture or lawn equipment. Uh, they were sparkly once, they were new, but now they're old and rusted and broken. They're probably missing some knobs or some handles or some kind of part. They're scratched. and. It, it, in your mind, at least, you have the plan to fix them, but you got to watch the right video or talk to the right person or find the right part, and you never seem to really get around to it, and so they just sit there, and eventually, it's time to get rid of them. They're no longer of any value, and that's usually what happens to broken things. We purge them from our lives. They are no longer of any use. To us. When we look at this series, this series is about seeing our lives as bread that Jesus takes in his hands, that he blesses it, that he breaks it, and that he gives it for the life of the world. Last week, as we were together, we talked about how difficult it is to imagine being common or ordinary. Uh, we talked about how being blessed and being sacred and holy at the same time is difficult to grasp for us. We don't always see ourselves like that. We don't see ourselves as bread for the world, that Jesus blesses, breaks, and gives to the world, that it might discover who he is. To be blessed, at least in Jesus' kingdom, is to have our identity restored and recovered. Remember last week? Restoried, as it were. To change the story of what our life is into what God wants it to be. It's to become who we were made to be. Carriers of the glory of God. We're vessels for him. To take his message into the world and touch people's lives. This week I want to talk to you about the word broken. We looked blessed last week, we looked broken this week. We use the word broken in several ways. I'm going to talk about three of them and then really emphasize two of them in today's message. First of all, I think brokenness is a way to describe our own frailty. Our own frailty. This is the experience of running up against our own limitations and fitness. You run up a couple of flights of stairs and all of a sudden you're winded. Uh, you've been down on work day half a dozen times and are sore the next day. It's the frailty that you and I experience. This is not the kind of brokenness that we're going to talk about today. It's just who we are. Secondly, brokenness can be looked at uh, as a way to refer to our own failure, our own personal failure. When we come up short, you know, the Bible says it's to miss the mark picture is of an arrow that goes toward target, doesn't even hit the target, but falls short of the target. We're not even close, we would say in uh, our language today. We fail what is required of us 
in any given situation or relationship and we come face to face, as it were, with our brokenness, I can't do this. We find ourselves falling short. Finally, brokenness is also a way of speaking about the fallen world. Uh, the, the idea that the whole world is fallen, that there's something wrong with everything, and it's not like it was designed to be. When sickness or death occurs or tragedies happen, or we hear of the creation groaning in some dramatic way, it's the creaking and crackling of the world, as it were. When things come apart at the seams, all these are signs of brokenness not really being healthy or what we should be. I think it's these last two kinds of brokenness that I really want to settle in on today as we think of God's word. I want to talk about our failure and the fallen world. I want us to look at that today because what can Jesus do with our brokenness? That really is the question, isn't it? If I am broken, and I am, if you are broken, and you are, what can Jesus do with the brokenness? Isn't that why we ask questions of God? The why questions? The what? The where? The how for? How come, God? What can you do? What will you do with this situation? Like bread that has been broken, does it, life, begin to lose its freshness? You know, we, I like baguettes, those long, you know, pieces of, uh, of bread. And we had some of those this morning. Teresa made them into uh, uh, French toast, just, you know, cut them. And so we had little medallions of French toast. And I just love baguettes. You can dip them in soup and, you know, just eat. It's just wonderful. But, you know, once you open that bag or once you break that bread, it doesn't take long for it to go stale. Is that what life is like? Do we become stale? Do we become useless? Or does Jesus receive our brokenness into his hands and transform it into something that's a blessing? In Luke chapter 22, verse 19, this one verse that we read today, stand just for this one verse, if you will, in honor of God's word. Luke 22:19, and he took bread, he gave thanks, and broke it and gave it to them saying this is my body given for you do this in remembrance of me heavenly father we come to you today and we ask you to help us with our brokenness for our failures and for the fallen nature of the world in which we live we know you can make change in our life we know you can redeem us and the world around us and so we come to you today, Father, asking you to help us with that redemption, that you would change who we are into who we need to be. We pray in your holy name. Amen. As we look at this passage of Scripture, as we think of Luke chapter 22, verse 19, I, this is the second blessed, broken, given story in Luke. As you look at Luke's gospel, the, the second time Jesus has taken bread and he has, in his hand, blessed it, broke it, and gave it. As we looked at the feeding of the 5,000, remember, 
And as we looked at that story, Jesus did the same thing he did here with the disciples. But in this occasion, it is the story of the Passover. You remember the Old Testament Passover, the death angel was coming and they were told to take, uh, kill a lamb and, and, and post on the door, the, around the door, the top and the sides, the blood of that lamb and the death angel would pass over them and their firstborn would not die as was going to happen to the Egyptian firstborn because they wouldn't listen to God. So it's at this Passover feast which commemorates the rescue of the nation Israel in Egypt and the judgment of God for evil. So in short, Passover is when God dealt with sin and evil. Think of it that way. He has dealt with sin and evil. God delivered his people by providing that covering of blood over the door and over their sins. And that makes this passage perfect, I believe. It's a perfect place to talk about what Jesus does with our own brokenness and what we live in. So first of all, let's talk about the brokenness of our failure. The brokenness of our failure. Unlike the gods and priests of any other religion of the ancient world, Israel's God viewed this a little differently when it came to sin and guilt. God provided for the Israelites a sacrifice specifically for the removal of guilt. Now, I might be able to appease a small G God in, in the ancient times and, and get him off my back, but there wasn't an offering in those religions to get rid of how I felt, my guilt, the burden that I have for not being able to do the things that are right, or maybe because I've done wrong things and I feel guilty about them. I think it's the most dramatic way that sin was dealt with in Israel's worship when you look at this offering. It comes on one specific day of the year. This year is in September uh, of our, our calendar, and that's Yom Kippur, uh, the Day of Atonement. Uh, the Day of Atonement. And in that Day of Atonement, the high priest would first offer a sacrifice to cleanse themselves. They had to be clean before they dealt with anybody else's uh, life. You know, there may be a message in that for us before we start picking beams out of other people's eyes and you know, need to deal with us. And so they did that first, and then they would select two goats. And they would lay their hands on one goat, imparting all of the sins of the nation on that goat. And then the priest would lead that goat out into the wilderness. Do you catch the meaning of that act? That goat took the blame. That goat took the blame and was led away, a picture an enacted parable of God removing the guilt from his people. He took it away. He took it away. And then there was the second goat. That goat was sacrificed. And then that blood was sprinkled on the inside of the Holy of Holies on the altar. And that goat took the punishment for the sins of the people. And that is a picture allowing the people to be spared the punishment of their sin. One goat takes the sin away, and one goat takes the punishment of that sin. These are elaborate. 
<laughs> symbolic acts for the nation of Israel, for them to look at their sin seriously and see what it took to deal with it. Something had to be gone, taken away. Something had to die for that to be dealt with. It was that serious of an act for God. So their God was the only God who made a way to deal with sin, guilt, and shame. Aren't you glad you have a God that prepared for you? Knew what it would take to make you right. Knew what your brokenness required and how he could put it back together and fit you back in so that you could deal with life again. In the brokenness of our own sin, we find the blessedness of the relief of guilt. It's gone. I, I don't need to feel guilty. You know, the Apostle Paul who stood there while Stephen was stoned after he came to know the Lord Jesus and was saved and was removed from the guilt could with gall say, I have harmed no man. Now, he was talking to a group of people he was dealing with, and in that, you know, I've not hurt you people. But overall, he could say that of his whole life. He had been cleansed. He had been washed white as snow. He had started over a new leaf. The chalkboard had been erased. I've harmed no man. See, that's the release of the guilt of sin, the shame of sin. Theirs was the only God who made a way to deal with sin, guilt, and shame. You see, in the brokenness of our sin, we can find blessing that removes guilt. All that stuff, the goats, the priests, the temples, the sacrifices, it's a foreshadowing of what was coming. It was a picture for them to see what was going to happen in the future to take away the sins of the world forever. To not every year do that. We've talked about it a number of times. In the temple, there were no chairs because the sacrifices were offered all day. They didn't have time to sit down and take a break. There was no HR department that told them they could get 15 minutes off. No, they worked all day removing the sins of the people. So there were no chairs. They just worked over and over and over. But the Bible says, yet Jesus, when he offered himself, what? Sat down at the right hand of the Father, once and for all. Once and for all, he took away the sin of the world. Here is a priest who was the sacrifice. In fact, he's the, the temple itself, if you want to. He was so great that he summed up in himself all those three ingredients of that Old Testament picture of the Day of Atonement. And so doing, he's the culmination. He's the closure of redemption, of the forgiveness of sin. In Jesus, we find a great high priest. In Jesus, we find a sacrifice. In Jesus, we find the temple. In him, we find everything. The writer of the letter of Hebrews was so excited about these symbols and what Jesus had done and the elements of the Israelite worship that, that he could hardly contain himself. So he began to preach and almost in a rhetorical way. He didn't expect an answer, but he, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't have overlooked an amen like any preacher would. But in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 13 and 14, 
the author says, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then, he goes on to say, will the blood of Christ who through eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God cleanse the conscience from the acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. What a wonderful picture. We look at that and we're reminded of the Old Testament prayer in Numbers 6. There was an Old Testament blessing. The high priest of Israel would say over the people, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift you up and his countenance upon you and give you peace. When you hear that prayer, because of Jesus, every word of that blessing is now true. It wasn't just a hope it will happen. It's now happened in Jesus. It's no longer a petition, oh, I pray that these things will happen. It's not a petition, it's a proclamation of in Jesus who we are. We hear those words, the Lord blesses you, the Lord keeps you, the Lord is smiling on you, and the Lord has turned his face upon you and given you peace. Not will the Lord give you peace, but the Lord has given you peace. We now have peace through him, through his sacrifice. We have peace now with God the Father. Jesus takes the brokenness of our sins and gives us peace. But what about the brokenness of the world? How do we deal with the brokenness of the world? How how does Jesus deal with that? What if our lives have been broken because of the brokenness of the world, not our failure? Let's talk about the second kind of brokenness, the brokenness of the fallen world. In John chapter 11, this won't be up on the screen, but let me read to you John 11, 17 through 27. You can turn there if you'd like to. John 11, 17 through 27. It's the story of Lazarus, Mary and Martha. On his arrival, Jesus found Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many of the Jews come to see Martha and Mary to comfort them in their loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I I know he will rise again in that resurrection day, that the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After her brother Lazarus' death, the question both Mary and Martha asked by their attitude and by outwardly asking Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died, was on their lips. And I think we know from reading the text, as we read on, the people around him, the others who were watching Jesus as he came. It's the question that arises every time pain is disconnected from justice. Do you hear what I said? When pain 
is disconnected from justice. When suffering is not of guilt, but of the brokenness of this world, we suffer because the world is fallen. Death happens now because the world is fallen. There, there are vines that cling to the, the building, so to speak, and tear it up because the world is fallen. We have enmity between the animals of the world because the world is fallen. Before, we could walk among the world and it was perfect in the garden, but we fell. And now we deal with the fallenness. The question comes to God. Couldn't you have prevented this, God? I wonder how many times people have asked that question. I, I know I have heard it as I have been in emergency rooms and waiting rooms and hospitals. As I've been at the bedside of people who are sick or are having the process of dying. Could not this have been prevented by God? Couldn't God have prevented this? Why did this have to happen? When one person suffers from our viewpoint needlessly, when pain seems random or worse, unjust, the appeal to God of his mercy and justice rings, I think, through the scripture. How long, O oh Lord, why do the righteous suffer? We, along with the writer, say that same thing. How long, O oh Lord? Or in the case of Lazarus, Jesus is standing there and they say, see how much he, Jesus, loved him. This is the, the idea that right next to this suffering, you see he healed the eyes of the man born blind, but he could not keep Lazarus from dying. That's what the people were saying. He was a miracle worker. Why, why didn't he work a miracle here? Could this not have been prevented? That's what they're asking. Jesus loved his dear friend, so why did his dear friend have to die? I find that funny that, that he questioned him on everything in the world. And, and even if, you know, if he did something, they questioned whether it was good. And if he didn't do something, they questioned, couldn't he be better? Jesus could not win with that group of people. It's not as though Lazarus was an enemy of God or he was wicked. No, we know he was Jesus' friend. And that must have caused Mary and Martha to wonder, is there no justice in the world that a good man dies like this? Is there no compassion from God? Doesn't God care? I think we often hope from God for prevention. That's what we're really asking, for God to prevent things from happening. In the face of this broken world, we want to be spared. We, we don't want to be bruised or bent or broken in the midst of this world in which we live. But unfortunately, it is the nature of the world that that is going to happen. It's broken. The world has fallen. And you will suffer. It's right beyond our grasp. We see the days of trouble. We see the days of trials. We see the days of troubling, testing and it, and it does something to us. Those reasons we can't really grasp, they're, they're like my dream, it's hard to grasp. Because we're broken. We can't get a hold of it. Why doesn't God choose to prevent all this? You know what God does do, though? God opts for a different way to deal with the brokenness 
He does it in a stronger way than prevention. He does something called redemption. God redeems us. God turns it around completely. You see, the Lazarus story, while, while we often call Lazarus' uh, experience resurrection, Lazarus was resurrection, he wasn't resurrected because he was going to die again, so he was resuscitated. You're familiar with that in, in the fire department. He was brought back to life, but he was going to die again. Ultimately, he did die. Lazarus is not still walking around. He's dead. But he was resuscitated for a period of time to show Jesus' power. He was not raised in the same way that Jesus would be raised very soon in the New Testament. Because he was not raised with a perfected, glorified, incorruptible body, which is what Jesus had on the day of resurrection of Easter. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm sure Lazarus was thrilled to be res resuscitated. <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I would be. You know, I've got a t-shirt that says, unplug me and plug me back in. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the way I feel, you know. Uh, just try it, see if it won't work. But the resurrection awaits for all of us in Christ. Like Martha said, I know he will be resurrected in that day. That day is coming when we will all have that perfected, incorruptible, glorified body, but it's not today. The resuscitation that Lazarus experienced was a sign of foreshadowing again of the resurrection to come for all of us. It's, it's a clue that suggests that God will deal with the brokenness of the world in a different way. Not just covering it. Not just propping it up. Not just bringing it back for a short period of time. Resurrection does not tiptoe around death. Real resurrection breaks death's power completely. Jesus is the firstborn among many brethren, the Bible says. The first to never die again. That's redemption. He took the brokenness, death, and God resurrected Jesus and he redeemed his body. That power of redemption, that power that Jesus experienced on that Easter Sunday, just as the resurrection is stronger than death, so redemption is more powerful than prevention. I don't want God to prevent stuff. I want him to fix it permanently. And that's what he does with redemption. He doesn't just cover my sin. He cleanses it. He redeems me. That's what he does for you. Think of it like this. Think of an artist who comes and does a public piece. We see those art exhibits occasionally. You know, we're, uh, we lived in Kansas City and they had a giant shuttlecock, you know, one of those things you play badminton with. I mean, this thing was like two stories tall and it was on, uh, you know, on this plaza and it was, it was hilarious. This, this giant, you know, shuttlecock sitting there on, on it's, it's a piece of outward art. We, we see that in Oklahoma. You go to many of the downtowns here and somebody's, painted a mural on one of the old brick walls, right? And you see those murals. They, the thing about them that amazes me, though, is that they leave them outside. There's no cones. There's no ropes. There's no restriction. There's no tape to keep me from walking up to that wall and touching it. And unfortunately, maybe sometimes for somebody to come up and what we call tag it, take spray paint and spray it over it. 
I think what that artist is saying is something like, whenever you scribble on this piece, I will find a way to make it more beautiful than it was before. There's an act of faith in that. That artist says, do what you will. I will fix it. It will be better than it was. Think of it another way. Now think of a chess player. Here's someone playing chess. I remember my dad taught chess when I was growing up. Uh, uh, I wasn't great at it. My son-in-law is very accomplished at it and has won many trophies. I don't even, I don't even look at a chessboard with him. I walk past it. I'm not, I'm not even going to try. He can beat me in four or five moves. But here's a chess player who, like my son-in-law, knows how to do that, but doesn't do that. He lets you play. He doesn't set up a, a, a grand plan. He just lets it happen. And you get the move. And then he deals with every move that you have. Whatever move you move, I will still put you in checkmate. That's what God says to death. That's what God says to the devil. That's what God says to your brokenness. I will fix it permanently. I can defeat it. Isn't that what happened? Oh, death, where is your sting? It's gone because he defeated it. It's one kind of power to say you will not harm me. It's a whole other kind of power that says do your worst and I'll prevail. That's God. We are what? Overcomers. More than powerful in Jesus. On the cross, Jesus absorbed the full weight of the evil of the world and the judgment of God that he had against it. Jesus became, the Bible says, sin for us. He took all of his sin on himself. Jesus became sin and death and became the curse that infects the world. He drained the venom from that serpent so that it no longer could sting or poison us. He died the death that once sin's wages would have destroyed you. Now he took it all and he took God's verdict. It's gone. Redemption. That's what he did. On the third day, the father raised him up from the dead and now because of the resurrection one day, all of that will be swallowed up in victory, the Bible says. <laughs> Only God can do that. I, I can't, you can't. We can't save ourselves. Only God can take brokenness and turn it into blessedness. Only God can take blessedness from brokenness. It's only God that can do those things. You see, Jesus takes the brokenness of the world and gives us hope. Whether it's the brokenness or the frailty of a, of a failure or the fallen world, it makes no difference. We are still God's image bearers. We bear the image of God. He's in us. He created the world and he blessed the world. The sin and suffering God did not prevent or beyond his capability to redeem. No. He can redeem it all. He can redeem anything. What God blessed, he redeemed. What he touched, he redeemed. He changed. He has the power to give his blessing and to pass over and over again the evil of the world just like he did in Egypt because of the blood of Jesus over our lives. 
over the door of our lives. God, the Redeemer, carries blessing to its completion even through the brokenness that will come. You will still fail. You will make mistakes. And God has accounted for that. He has covered that. God's redemption makes even the broken become blessed. He did it by becoming broken himself. Jesus, in Jesus, the blessed God became the broken human so that broken humans might become blessed by God. I don't think I can say that again. I'll just let you deal with that. That's him. To be broken is to be open to the grace of God. When you place your brokenness in Jesus' hands, it becomes openness. It becomes transparent. We use that word a lot now, transparency. That means we're open to, to admit who we are and what has happened. In Jesus, we can do that because it's the grace of God to redeem and restore and repair. There is a old Japanese art form of melding, mending rather, broken pottery called kintsugi. My daughters like Japanese, they speak Japanese, and I've seen a lot of Japanese stuff over the years. It, it means golden joinery to put back together. It's the art of joining broken pieces of pottery with a liquid resin that is golden when it's fired. And the result is that the bowl is more beautiful than when it originally was broken. It becomes broken, you put the resin in, you put it back together, you cover it, you fire it, and now throughout the broken piece are, are marbled pieces of gold-looking repairs. Matter of fact, it became so popular that Japanese uh, in history found that people were breaking things on purpose just so they could repair them because it looked so good. That's what it means. That sounds like grace to me. That sounds like something God would do. Grace that takes what is broken and puts it back together in such a way that it is more beautiful and more valuable than it was before. Where is the brokenness in your life? Is it from failure? Is it from fallenness in the world? Let your brokenness open up to God and let him deal with the failure and the fallenness because he can put it back together and make it whole again. When grace comes rushing in, it does not leave us broken in our sin. It heals, it restores, it restores us, it cleanses us, it forgives us, it makes us new in a way that we were not before, more beautiful than it was before. Grace is the gold that holds the broken pieces together. Let him take your life today. Let him take your life and repair it, redeem it, fix it permanently you see once Jesus gets a hold of your life and fixes it it's once and for all it's done it's fixed place your broken life in Jesus' hands will you pray with me Heavenly Father we come to you today and we thank you for what you did on the cross your redemptive purpose in our lives we cannot grasp it it is beyond us but we are told it's there that grace is the gold that re 
purposes our life. We fail and we are fallen, but you offer us redemption. When the world would try to cover it and fix it, piece it back together in a way that is not permanent because year after year the Israelites would offer offerings. When we say we're sorry over and over again and never really feel free from the guilt, you offer us redemption. If we confess our sins, you're faithful and just just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we bring our broken lives to you today and we lay them at your feet and ask you to fix them. Put us back together and bless us as we're open to you with our brokenness. We pray in Jesus' holy name, amen.